0: Well, it's a beautiful hymn, and you guys sing it really well, but here's the thing. It's been said that Christians don't tell lies. We just sing them with our lips. I think coming into the 10th commandment and coming out of that hymn, maybe I feel maybe more than most weeks the need to just start off with prayer. So let's bow our heads again. God, it it is a beautiful hymn. And on our best days, we sing it as a prayer of hope that we would be men and women and boys and girls who surrender all to you. On most days, Lord, we're far from that. And so I pray, uh, Lord, that as you look down and you are pleased that your people have gathered together and you are pleased to hear your name praised God, I pray now that you would send us your spirit and that those words would live in our own hearts. Guide us now as we study your word, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor here, and I'm really grateful to do so. I hope you've had a good week. I had a very good week. Uh, The family and I, we got to go down to the Cape um, with friends, uh, beach, swimming, mini-golf, fishing. You know, when you start to add it up, maybe particularly in the summer, when you have a family of little girls there are a whole bunch of picture opportunities almost every day. And so probably because of that, this caught my eye. Um, A uh, a blog entry by a budding photographer, uh, I think a mom, who was kind of displaying what a difference it can make in photography when you just swap out the lens, um, use, use Lightroom, maybe add a filter, change the perspective, what a difference it can make. Take a look at these, um, these photographs here. The top one is just a kid in a yard, right? Exact same situation below, and it belongs on a magazine. <laughs> top one, just a kid annoying some chickens. <laughs> Bottom one, it's like epic. <laughs> Nothing changed. It's the exact same situation. Kids in a yard with a bunny. Awesome, beautiful moment. Kids with a bunny. It's interesting, isn't it? How the same moment can seem there so much better just by changing our perspective a little bit. I saw this, and I think, first off, this probably has something to say about the way that we view other people's lives, doesn't it? Particularly when other people's lives have an Instagram filter on top of them. But the reason I'm showing you these this morning is I'm hoping that this morning we can change the perspective on our own life a little bit. I want us uh, to, to, to look to the Holy Spirit by opening up his word and remind one another as we go through this, to not let that which matters least to obscure that which matters most. Um, To that end, as you guys are already turning in your Bibles, we're opening up to the second book of the Bible Exodus chapter 20. If you want to use one of the Black Bibles, this is on page 61. Uh, If you are brand new this morning, um, man, I'm so glad you're here. I know August is often a time when we're visiting new churches, maybe looking for a new church, or we're relocating to the area. If you are new or kind of new, I usually hang out in the foyer um, or near the door or the welcome desk, and I would love uh, for you to pop by and introduce yourself on your way out this morning. Also, if you're new, you'll be helped to know that all summer long, we're working through this series on the Ten Commandments that uh, Pastor Don alluded to a few minutes ago. Uh, We're calling it The Good Life because the good life is life lived in right relationship with God. So this morning, after finishing the first nine, we now arrive at the tenth and final commandment. So our focus is going to be on Exodus 20 and verse 17. Exodus 20, verse 17. Hear now the very word of the Lord. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And again, those first four words, let's say them together. You shall not covet. Thus ends the reading of God's word. I got three headers this morning. If you're the note-taking type, um, we're going to, Lord willing here, define coveting. And then I want to diagnose coveting. And then by God's grace, I want to maybe set us on a path to depart coveting. So define, diagnose, depart when we arrive at the 10th commandment, most of us uh, who've been churched or familiar with this language, we very quickly realize that we cannot claim innocence, right? In a way, maybe that's unique from all of the other commandments. The 10th commandment cuts not just to what we do, but what we want, what we desire in the core of our being. Uh, simply defined... Coveting is an illicit craving to possess that which belongs to another. Coveting is an illicit craving to possess that which belongs to another. We do this all the time. We do this so much, sometimes we don't even know the object of our coveting. Mark Twain, he hit the nail on the head a long time ago when he said, You don't know just what it is, but it fairly makes your heart ache. You want it so. We often struggle to recognize our own covenanting, even as we see it so clearly in our kids. Am I right? Do You guys remember the first time you took your son or your daughter down to TC Scoops for an ice cream cone when they were yay high, and you because they were so small, you just bought them the kitty size, and it was a buck fifty, and they absolutely loved it. They were absolutely content with their $1.50 kitty-sized ice cream cone until the girl behind them in line got the cone with the works, right? The one that was dipped in chocolate with the jimmies and the gummy worm on the top. And now your kid's looking up at you saying, Dad, I don't want this one. And you're looking down at them and you're saying, yeah, you do. And they're saying, I'm not going to eat it. And you're saying, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And before you know it, you got the great ice cream fiasco right in the middle of Medway. And listen, parents, the degree to which we're raising up our kids at the level of the ice cream cones is going to make all the difference as they move into college. It's going to make all the difference when it comes to how they view their work and how they view their spouse and everything else that comes to pass. So really, the 10th commandment is a gift to us because there's not a single soul in here who can squirm past this one. In a way, unlike all the others, it's kind of like the indictment that comes down to us even while our crime is still in progress. We just, it just rings true. Um, Colossians 3 is a New Testament text that uh, is very helpful in fleshing out this Old Testament command. You can r- turn there if you like or just listen. It says, uh, quote, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is, do you know? It's exactly right. J. Mack. Idolatry. That's interesting. That coveting, according to Paul, equals idolatry. Which if I'm reading and understanding that correctly, it means here at the 10th commandment and at the end of the summer, it's circling us all the way back to the first commandment at the start of the summer. To desire anything more than Christ is to put that thing in the place of Christ. It's to create an idol. And yet, we're told you shall have no other gods before me. So friends, don't let that stuff which matters least obscure that which matters most. Underneath this definition of coveting, there's two primary categories in which we tend to operate when we're doing coveting. Uh, number one is we desire that which rightfully belongs to someone else. We desire that which rightfully belongs to someone else or at least we desire that they don't have it. Um, if you kept your Bibles open there in Exodus 20 and verse 17, um, it means here don't covet anything that belongs to To anybody else. Um, For an agrarian society, the examples listed here meant things like house, servants, livestock, wife. Fast forward through the pages of time, we land in our own century and our own culture, and some of that changes a bit, I suppose. We still covet our neighbor's house, don't we? And we still covet our neighbor's spouse. Uh, Maybe we swap out servants with, I don't know, appliances (laughs) or employees. Maybe we swap out an ox and a donkey for a car or an SUV. We scroll through Facebook and we covet our friend's job, their vacation, their Apple Watch, their abs, (laughs) something, lots of things. So the two primary categories in which we covet are number one, desiring that which someone else has, or number two, Refusing to be content with what we have. See, if the explicit negative here, remember every single one of these commands, it has a negative and a positive. One's explicit, one's implicit. Every single one of them. Here, the explicit negative is you shall not covet, which means the implicit positive is you shall what? Be content. Contentment is an inner satisfaction with what God has given me until such time as he is pleased to give me more. In inner satisfaction with what God has given me until such time as he is pleased to give me more. Well, this probably needs a little bit of explanation. There's going to be one or two folks who are confused here. How satisfied do I have to be with my present circumstances? Is it wrong that I want my sick kid to be well? Obviously not. Is it wrong that I want a more reliable car, a little more room on the house, a better job? The 10th commandment is not a prohibition against ambition. Rather, it exhorts us to a place where we can say, no matter where I'm at, my soul is at rest. Can you say that? No matter where I'm at, my soul is at rest with what I have and where God has placed me and what I'm doing now. Hebrews 13 says, Be content with what you have, for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I shall not fear. Church, Christians, one of the very best places that we can be is exactly where we don't want to be. And in that moment, be capable of speaking to our own soul, it's okay, God has got this because God has got me. And for some of us here this morning, that's more in the abstract because we just enjoyed a bunch of days on the Cape (laughs) with sunshine and waves. We just got a promotion at work. We just had family that we love move near us. But for some of us this morning, this is not abstract. Hurting and suffering, it is very real. And it is all too present in our lives right now. How does the 10th commandment apply there? There is a a Puritan, his name is Jeremiah Burroughs. He wrote a fantastic little book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I can't really say it's an easy read because it is one of the Puritans after all and none of them are easy, but it is a fantastic read and I pulled out a few quotes. I'll see how many I get to here this morning. I was highlighting all over the place. Um, In one, apropos to this idea of When not all is well, he says this in a clock, stop but one wheel, and you stop every wheel, because they are dependent upon one another. So when God has ordered a thing for the present to be thus and thus, how do you know how many more things depend upon this thing? God has work to do. Twenty years hence, that depends on a passage of providence that falls out this day or this week. Maybe there's a word of encouragement there for us. If we define coveting as an illicit craving to possess that which belongs to another, then we need to move from the definition to what does this look like in real time? How do we diagnose coveting in my own life here in the 21st century, here in Boston Metro West, what does coveting look like in real time? First off, keep in mind, coveting, uh, covetousness, coveting, it is, it is no respecter of socioeconomic conditions, okay? It is an equal opportunity sin for all people in all cases. Some of us here today, we're, we're here and we are a little bit lower on the pay scale. And so we find that much of our life is consumed with a dissatisfaction of what we have and the reality that we cannot afford more than that. And some of us here today, quite on the flip side, we are making more money than we have ever made in our lives and we are more miserable than we have ever been in our lives. We've piled up more debt than we ever had before. Um, uh, uh, Paul and Ted Tripp. They are a couple of brothers, uh, Christian authors. They do some speaking. And several years ago, uh, Ted Tripp, he wrote a parenting book, which some of you might be familiar with. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's quite excellent. And it did quite well, and it sold several hundred thousand copies. And so the royalties started coming in, and they weren't, it was no small amount of money uh, when it was all said and done. So at that same time, uh, Paul Tripp, who's... His brother is pretty much in the same business as he is. He's watching that, and he's realizing because of jealousy, their relationship is getting frayed, which of course is what jealousy always does to relationships. And so on a a long car trip that the two brothers were taking one weekend, Ted, or rather Paul, Confessed to his brother Ted the jealousy that he had that Ted's book had done so well. And Ted replied back to him, he said, You know, until that book, my wife and I thought that we had embraced a Christ centered lifestyle of simplicity and stewardship. Turns out we were just poor. <laughs> And then he added, I find my heart is now tested like never before. So, how about you? Rich or poor, somewhere in between. Do you find yourself wanting to spend money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't even like? Do you have a covetous heart? Don't let that which matters least obscure that which matters most. Let me offer you under this header of diagnose coveting, let me try and give you four diagnostic statements. These are going to be four telltale signs that you, my friend, and perhaps your pastor, we might have a covetous heart. Four telltale signs. Number one, You're willing to hurt others to get more for yourself. You're willing to hurt others to get more for yourself. You know, we often say here, in fact, every time we do membership vows, we say it together as a family to one another, that as a church family, we're going to weep with those who weep, and we're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. You guys recognize that, right? Now watch this. Coveting is... Exactly inverts that, right? Covening says, I'm gonna weep because you rejoice. And when I am rejoicing, it's because you're weeping. It's the exact opposite of love. And so we got to look at our own hearts here, people. Do I rejoice? Maybe not in general but are there particular people in my life that I rejoice when they suffer? Do I I celebrate other people's success? Or am I the kind of guy who scorns other people's success? That's number one. Second diagnostic, you neglect the needs of others and are unwilling to give up what you already have. You neglect the needs of others and are unwilling to give up what you already have. 1 John 3 is crystal on this one. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love abide in him? For instance, when you find out that your tax return is going to be more than you expected and larger than you had budgeted for, is your first thought, who can I bless with this? (laughs) Or is it, what can I get with this? Again, I have zero interest in standing on this platform and looking out at you and what you do or do not have and judging your heart. I don't have time for it. I got my own sins I got to deal with. What I am asking you to do is to look at your own heart yourself, to judge your own heart, to set it before the cross, as it were, and say, Lord, what are the little rooms in this haunted house of my heart that I haven't gone into because I'm afraid what might be hiding there? Lord, help me to dust off the shelves, look in every corner, clear out the cobwebs, and confront the sin that's there. When it comes to your stuff, church do you hold it loosely third diagnostic you are preoccupied with accumulating money possessions or experiences you're preoccupied with accumulating money or possessions or experiences matthew 6 says seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In my experience, most Christians, it's not the seeking the kingdom part that trips us up. It's the seeking the kingdom first. A covetous person spends much of their life in fantasy and frustration. We fall asleep, hungering for that which we do not have, and then we wake up and we're immediately frustrated because we don't have it. And then number four, and I would say that of these four diagnostics, this one is by far the most revealing. Fourth one, you spend more time in complaining than you do in Thanksgiving. You spend more time in complaining than you do in Thanksgiving. My friends, complaints reflect ingratitude, and they are absolutely toxic to your family. You know they're toxic in your workplace because you hate it when other people do it. And I'm telling you, they're toxic in the church. Paul wrote to the young pastor Timothy when he was still at Ephesus and he was pastoring that congregation. He said to him, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. But as for you, man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Paul is telling Timothy, run from covetousness. He uses the word flee like like Joseph from Potiphar's wife flee this stuff. Church, when we are fleeing sin, we do not leave a forwarding address. Run. <laughs> Just run from it. Teach your kids, leave coveting behind. If we do not teach them these things, then someday dads, it's our responsibility. It's going to be our fault that we walk our greedy little kids down the aisle and we put their hand in the hand of a greedy little husband and now they got a greedy little marriage that's absolutely consumed by covetousness and the house and the car and the vacations and the church is never going to be good enough. But you, man or woman of God, flee these things run after contentment chase it down don't let that which matters least obscure that which matters most Burroughs, that puritan he said a wicked man wonders why his cross is so much a godly man wonders that his cross is not more I told you I want to define coveting. I want to describe coveting. And then by God's grace, I want to try and make a move for us to depart coveting. Um, uh, Ben Sass, I don't know if that uh, national senator, if he is on your radar. I kind of would like him to be. I think he's fantastic as far as politicians go. he's, he's, He's been someone I've been listening to and paying attention when he's a talking head on NBC or Fox News or whatever for a little while now. Um... Ridiculously intelligent. He did his undergrad at Harvard, doctorate at Yale. Um, he's a senator from Nebraska. He spoke at the Gospel Coalition this past year. He has a clear profession of faith in Christ. Um, I got to hear him in person speak at Gordon Conwell just a few months ago, uh, Ben Sass. He was given the commencement address. And he mentioned within that how there have been 3,000 scholarly articles written in the last decade on happiness and being happy. And it turns out in all of these research and some of its clinical studies and surveys and the whole thing, it turns out that of the hundreds of, or thousands of factors that we could probably whiteboard if we took the time to do it this morning, it turns out that of all of these different contributors, there's actually about four things that drive happiness four. (laughs) Aside from abject poverty like war-torn community or genetics, turns out some people are just predisposed to be grumpy. (laughs) Maybe you've known those people. There's not much we can do about either one of those situations in, you know, in the individual. Aside from that, there's four things across cultures that drive happiness. Here they are. Number one, Meaningful work? Am I serving? Am I doing in a valuable way? Do I have a calling? Number two, family. Are there people I live with who care about me? Number three, friends. I'm not talking about the thousand people who follow you on social media. I'm talking friends. People who, when you hurt, they hurt. When you're happy, they're happy. Not because they choose to be, just because they love you. Meaningful work, family, friends. Fourth driver of abiding happiness across cultures, a theological framework that makes sense of death and suffering. A theological framework that makes sense of death and suffering because no one can escape that. Christian, you and I, we live in a nation where a profound loneliness grips neighbors and coworkers, people walk into this church every week, and I'm privileged because I because I'm a, a, a kind of a visible person in the church. I'm stand up here most weeks. I'm privileged to get to hear some of those stories. Trust me, every person in here has a story, and many are gripped with absolute loneliness did you know that in 1990 the average american had 3.4 close friends today that number is 1.8 40 percent of americans never talk about anything meaningful with anyone There is an ache and a pain in so many around us today. Most people are never going to experience the privilege that it is to sing he will hold me fast with hundreds of brothers and sisters around us. Which means we ought to be the least covetous people on the planet. Do not allow that which matters least to obscure that which matters most. So how do we move from from close fisted to open-handed? How do we move from complaining to thanksgiving? Another quote from that book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. He said, You can never make a ship go steady. By propping it up out, outside, there must be ballast within the ship. Likewise, there is nothing outside us that can keep our hearts in a steady way. There must be grace placed within the soul. Pop quiz. Can anybody here raise their hand? And if I call upon you, recite in front of everybody Philippians 4.13. Go. Oh my gosh, I'm so depressed right now as a senior (laughs) pastor. (laughs) Who will be so bold as to recite for us Philippians 4.13? Go ahead, Cheryl. I see that hand. Good Missy Soule, preschool teacher. Did she say it right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. She nailed it. Now, I will give one million dollars. <laughs> that may be in the form of an IOU to anybody who can tell me a verse or two that immediately precedes Philippians 413. Missy's working. Cheryl's thinking. Mm -mm. Philippians 4 verse 11 about halfway through I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me it's interesting isn't it Because a bunch of us, even if you weren't willing to put up your hand, you did know that verse, didn't you? Because it's hanging on our walls, and we slip it in our wallet. And it's interesting because the original context for this super well-known verse was not the guy who wanted to run a marathon. It was not the guy who needed to lose 25 pounds. It was not even the lady who needed to get through chemo treatments. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The original context for that verse is the battle against coveting i have learned paul said in whatever situation i am to be content how have you learned this paul well trav i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and when you consider some of the stuff that paul went through that's a remarkable claim All right, got to wrap up. Let me finish with practical application. Where's the, where's the off-ramp into Monday and Tuesday? Because um, the reality is, and you know this, if you, have, if you have fostered over your lifetime, if the shaping influences upon you as a child, or maybe you had a great childhood, but somewhere along the way, you just started coveting all the time. That's not going to be changed today. It's not going to be changed this month discipleship, sanctification. It was never a discovery. It's a process. Okay? So if this commandment, this tenth one, if this is at all pricking you in a way it does not feel particularly good, but it feels a little too real, here's four ways we can begin to flee coveting and chase contentment quickly. Number one, Unmask the coveting for what it is. It's idolatry, okay? Admit it. Call it what it is. Eve started it with the fruit and we've been doing it ever since. Work through those four diagnostic statements and ask which one of these, maybe all of these, in some way apply to me. Unmask the coveting for what it is and confess it. Number two, confess the sin and now number two, preach the gospel to yourself. Man, I hope that doesn't sound cliche. Because if it does, it robs it of its importance. Preach the gospel to yourself. Have that daily conversation with your own soul where you affirm, listen, soul, this stuff, those accomplishments, these people around me, none of this is what gives me worth. All of my value, all of my dignity, all of my worth is found in what Christ did for me. His righteousness imputed to me. Number three, commune with God. Unmask the covenant for what it is. Preach the gospel to yourself. Number three, commune with God. Develop the lifelong, life-giving disciplines of Lord's Day worship and um, fellowship in community groups. All built on this foundation of individual prayer and Bible study. Number four, last one. And um, warning, if you've got a problem with coveting, this one's gonna hurt the most, okay? Number four, practice radical, sacrificial generosity. Hold your life and your stuff loosely. Whatever it is, if it's tripping you up, give it away. Do not let that which matters least obscure that which matters most. We started out with pictures where you swap out a lens and you put on a different filter and suddenly everything looks better and real life, of course, doesn't actually work that way. But maybe as a church family we can begin a little bit more to view real life with a gospel filter placed over it where we begin to see that all that I have is because of a Savior who gave all that He had. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame